0: But uh, turn in your Bibles with me, uh, Psalm chapter 1. Um, that's where we're going to spend uh, our time uh, this morning. Um, this summer, we're just kind of pulling back from the book of Colossians a little bit and uh, and I'm looking at a handful of different Psalms. And uh, the book of Psalms is a fantastic book. It is a gift to the church. It's a, a collection of 150 different Songs and poems. Um, The word psalm really is just one of those words we just ripped right out of the Greek. We didn't even translate it. Psalmoi just means song of praise. And uh, in the Hebrew Bible, it's called the Tehillim, which again just means song of praise in Hebrew. Uh, And so. To be precise, to help us as we're talking about this book, when we're talking about the book of Psalms. It's plural, all of the Psalms collected together. Um, if we're talking about individual Psalms, we use singular, right? Psalm 1, Psalm 2. Um, the earliest of the Psalms is probably Psalm 90 that claims Moses as its author. Um, David then wrote uh, at least 73 of the Psalms, so uh, about half. Some are from Solomon, others from Asaph from the sons of Korah, a Levitical priestly family, and, and a couple of other authors. Um, probably the most recent psalm, uh, Psalm 88, written by Heman the Ezraite. Now, if I'd have known Heman was a biblical name. Um, could, would you let me get away with Heman? No? Oh, that's worth a try. Um, Heman the Ezraite. So being that he was a, a, a child of Ezra, that means we're after the Babylonian captivity. So that's, that's really late. Um, the span of the Psalms covers thousands of years. Um, Jewish tradition seems likely um, that these songs were accumulated and collected by the people of Israel over the years, used in their corporate worship together. And uh, most likely it was Ezra who, who kind of grabbed them and, and correlated them and put them together, organized them into the five books that we have within the book of Psalms. Um, Probably it was him who put uh, Psalms 1 and 2 at the beginning that, that are like this introduction to the Psalms. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, and then Psalms uh, 146 to 150 are this, this benediction at the end. And that's the form that we have it in today. As this collection of songs, of, of poetry and prayers, um, this, this book holds a unique place in Scripture. It's it's absolutely filled with theology. There, there's much that we can learn about God and his, his character and, and his ways. It's, it's inspired truth. And yet you, you don't read a poem the same way you read a textbook. Right? You don't expect the same experience uh, from a song as you do from a how-to manual. Or a prayer as opposed to a, a self-help book. We approach them in, in different ways. Um, the Psalms are not just statements of fact. They're not just decrees from the Lord or records of history. There's there's place, there's room for those things. Those are important, but that's not what the Psalms are. They are this real and messy and raw experiences of the people of God. As they walk with God through the, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, this is their prayers and songs and wrestlings and frustrations. And so you have Psalm 88 Crying out from just the, the depths of despair. Listen to how low this psalm goes, starting verse 13, "But I, O Lord, cry out to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless." Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close me in together. You have caused my beloved, my friend, to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And it just doesn't go up from there. Psalm 88 is just from the pit of despair. And then you move into the next psalm, Psalm 89. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth. I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will be established in your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord and who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? I mean, just night and day. Some of us are feeling Psalm 88 this morning. That's where I am. Lord, where are you? Others are more Psalm 89. God, you are so faithful. You are so good. The life of faith is not simple. It's not a straightforward fairy tale, happily ever after walk down the garden path. It's challenging. It's difficult. It has joys and and celebrations, but also hardships and, and struggles and frustrations. And the Psalms reflect all of those realities. They are this beautiful merger where the thoughts and and feelings and emotions of men are met together by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so they they become to us this this guidebook for our worship, for our praise in the high times, but also for our, our struggling and our wrestling in the low. The Psalms work their way through Every single human emotion, it's, it's all there. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're wrestling with, there are, there are psalms that are going to reflect that. And so these inspired songs and prayers um, give words to our hearts when, when we're without words. They resonate with our deepest sorrows and fears and direct them to the Lord. They even dare to ask questions that I think we would be uh, fearful to ask on our own. And they reverberate with our highest joys, exalting our hearts and fanning that flame to new levels of of excitement and ecstasy. And and all the while, like the rest of Scripture, they are gently and consistently pointing us to Christ. The darkest of the darkness that we see in the Psalms. The sharpest cuts of betrayal and, and feelings of forsakenness. They're just shadows pointing forward to the forsakenness, the betrayal of Christ. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus quoted that from the cross saying, that's me, the one who is forsaken. Statements of confidence and hope of God's victory over all these amazing promises of God as our protector and our rescuer, our savior. The statements of His full assurance he will not abandon us to the grave They're first fulfilled in Christ as he is not abandoned to the grave but raised again to life. And then they're fulfilled through Christ as we have that confidence in him that we too will be raised. So we read the Psalms um, not just thinking hard, considering what is said and seeing the the theology there, but, but, but also feeling deeply allowing it to hit our emotions, allowing us to, to, allowing to kind of carry us along, considering how does this impact us, letting it become our, our prayer, our worship, our wrestling, our, our frustration. So I just want to encourage you, um, if you've not spent time in the Psalms, pick it up. It's a good place. Um, I, I always have a Bible reading bookmark in the Psalms, wherever I'm reading morning after morning, I'm, I'm picking up a Psalm. And uh, that's, That's the heart of my prayer life is just reading through the Psalms and and letting that be a guide. Um, And the reason, the reason that we should learn uh, to pray, to sing, to to think the Psalms uh, is given in the very first word of the book. Let me read uh, these first two verses of Psalm chapter one. And uh, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our morning. Uh, It says, blessed is the man. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Would you pray for me? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book of Psalms that, um, that resonates with our hearts on so many different levels. Lord, thank you that it meets us in our struggles, in our darkness, in our sense of of lostness and forsakenness. Thank you that it um, expresses the joy that we have in you and the wonder of your goodness and your faithfulness. Father, I pray this morning and this summer as we spend time in the Psalms, God, that you would deepen our hearts toward you. Lord, that you would um, move past uh, the intellect, Lord, we want to know you with our minds. We want to know truth about you. But God, would you enliven our hearts to love you, to delight in you, to desire you? Would you move us um, to see you afresh in, in the Psalms, Lord? We just pray for this morning, God, that my words would be faithful to your word, that you would be at work um, by your spirit, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, the reason that we have the book of Psalms, the, the purpose statement of this book, uh, is, is right here in these first verses. And it is that we might be blessed. The first word of this massive book sets the stage um, Psalm 1 is like an introduction to the Psalms. There's no author named for the first Psalm. It's probably David, though some have said maybe it was Ezra who wrote it as he kind of compiled um, the Psalms. Um, Spurgeon says Psalm 1 may be looked upon in some respects as the text upon which the whole of the Psalms make up a divine sermon. So uh, it's it's almost as if there's a God-preached sermon based off of Psalm 1 so Psalm 1, Psalm 2 just set the stage for us. Um, They they tell us what to expect. Where is this book going? What's it about? What's it for? And the first word is this overarching promise, the goal of it all, that we would be blessed. That's that's the first point. Um, Look for God's blessing. We ought to be going after it. Look for God's blessing. The Lord is holding that out in front of us. He's saying, here blessedness is is here to be taken so seek after it honor him as he offers it and and look for it what does it mean to be blessed I was talking to someone this morning saying I'm I was actually looking forward to this sermon because I hate the word blessed because it just gets ripped off and used in all kinds of crazy ways what does it even mean to be blessed um Right. hashtag blessed, right? We see it everywhere. I, I was so tempted to use that as my series title. My wife said that maybe it wouldn't be wise. Um, but ha- it, it comes up. Where, where do you see it? Hashtag blessed and pictures of me on my, on my vacation in a nice place. Hashtag blessed, I got a new pair of shoes. Hashtag blessed, my relationship is better than yours. Um, and, and, and look, we can go deeper than that. There, there's more there, um, but in a sense they're not wrong right like to be blessed means to be happy i have I have good things I' have undeserved good gifts around me that that give me joy I'm happy because of this good situation because of the good things around me and I think for many of us if we're honest, it feels wrong to seek after blessing and and, and There's there's probably some right reasons for that. But that feels so out of place in the Christian life. Look for blessings. Seek after happiness. Is that okay? But isn't that what we're all chasing after anyway? Isn't that just the reality of who we are? Isn't that what we all desperately desire? I mean, it's right at the center of the, the founding of the United States of America. Right, The Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They're endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights. What are they? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The right to to fight after, to to chase after, to work for the one thing that we all desire, joy, happiness, that, that blessed life. Martin Luther wrote, Uh, it is the practice of all men to inquire after blessedness. And there is no man on earth who does not wish that it might go well with him and who would not sorrow if it went ill with him. Even Augustine, uh, in his book, The Confessions, uh, rhetorically asked, is it not a happy life, the thing that all desire? And is there anyone who altogether desires it not? Everybody's after it. We all want to be happy. I remember even... Um, comment by John Piper, uh, even those who commit suicide in trying to escape pain and suffering are ultimately seeking happiness, joy. We can't help it. It's, it's part of who we are. It's part of who we were created to be. And there's a tip there. There's a, a, an interesting piece there. Did, did Adam and Eve enjoy happiness in the garden? Did, did they lay down and, and feel the, the happiness as the sun shone on them? Did they find joy and, and, and happiness as they then took a, a nice cool dip in the pond? And was God pleased with that before the fall? Absolutely. 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 It's actually a very tragic casualty of sin. And, and the distorting effects of sin in this world that has caused us to become suspicious of happiness, of seeking after joy. We've even vilified this in the church in some places. This, this plagued me as a young man. I was so conflicted, so, so confused. I had it in, in my head that, that I had to make a choice. I could choose either to serve and honor God or to live after my own happiness. But it was one of the other and not both. By Satan's twisted devices, I had believed, as so many do, that to serve the Lord, to be a, to be a Christian, was to put aside my own joy. To put aside my pursuit of, of happiness and, 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 and good things. Because the search for happiness, for joy, for pleasure, that's, that's sinful. That's wrong. To serve the Lord is somber and, and dutiful. And, and we put those things aside and live a life of, of sacrifice. Look at Psalm 1. Look at that first word. Blessed, joyful, happy. The Lord is saying, this is how to find happiness. This is how to find joy right here. This is the blessed life. And he's inviting us to seek after it, to look for it, to run hard for it. In fact, it's interesting the, the word there blessed, it's in the plural and the word man is in the singular. Um, and, and so there's this kind of under the surface implication. This is, this is about ample blessing, overflowing blessing. Blessing enough for multiple people on this one man. That's what God is offering. Can you believe it? This is too good to be true. God wants you to be happy. Can we say that? Do you believe that? Does that sentence cause you to kind of pause and well, wait really? maybe um, there's, there's kind of that catch there in your heart? we've all heard the phrases. God wants you to be holy, not happy. Oh, oh, I was wrong. All right, God is interested in your growth, not in your happiness. And and I get what that's going after, and, and, and there's maybe some context we could give to those, but I think it just muddies the truth. Are holiness and happiness opposites of one another? Are they in opposition? Is it possible this is maybe a false dichotomy that that holiness and happiness may actually be two sides of the same coin? God wants you to be holy, completely holy. And it is in that holiness where our true happiness is found. That that makes seeking the Lord and, and seeking our own fullest joy actually one and the same thing. That would make the gospel actually good news, wouldn't it? Shock. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace and brings news of happiness. Here's the news of happiness. Who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The fact that God is the Lord, that He is sovereign over all, is happy news that ought to make us glad and rejoice. Romans 14, 17 says, so For the, the kingdom of God, this is what God's rule and reign looks like. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, that's holiness, and of peace and joy in the Spirit. Holiness and joy go right along together, right side by side. Joy and happiness in the Spirit of God. Now I know there are people who would like to to distinguish between uh, happiness and joy. And say, well, happiness is all surface. It's circumstantial. It's it's light and and fluffy and and fleeting. Joy is is deep and and unmoving. But but I don't want to draw that line so sharp. We need to be careful with that because we begin to communicate that that, that there is joy without happiness. That this joy in me is down so deep that my face has never shown sign of it. I'm joyful, but not happy? Is there such a thing as miserable joy? Is there such a thing as an agonizing joy or an angry joy? The joy that is devoid of happiness is not joy. Right? God doesn't say, I want you to have joy and then completely redefine joy to be something else. Something that's, that's burdensome and dreary. Oh, I may not be happy, but I am joyful. Really? Are you rejoicing right now? Do you have joy in your heart? Because those are, those are happy words and you look sad. Now, That is the reality of our existence in a broken, sinful world, right? We wrestle with that. We go through times of suffering and struggle. There is such a thing as a joy that exists in the middle of trials and and burdens and confusion and frustration. But it's still joy. It's still a positive, happy thing that we ought to have inside of us. And yes, we have this, this inner conflict, working it out in this broken world. Jesus said, John 15, 11, I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Full joy, complete joy, not a, not a partial joy, not a hollowed out joy, fullness of joy. Psalm 37, 4, we're even commanded, delight yourself in the Lord. Find joy in him, celebrate in him, party in him. God wants you to be happy. That's what the book of Psalms is about. How to truly, abundantly, fully, richly find God's blessing, His joy, His happiness. Look for it. Seek after it. Even the somber, wrestling psalms are are meant to, to walk us through that reality and bring us back to the Lord, bring us back to His joy. Now the question we need to answer is how? This blessing is available. If it's something that is somehow true that God wants me to be happy, how do I get it? And and that's where our caution is. Because when we say seek joy and seek pleasure, what we mean by that is running after and seeking the pleasures of this world. Go find seek pleasure in sin. Well, that's not what God is talking about. Yes, that pursuit of pleasure is not good. Uh, If we're talking about my happiness in those things, then yes, God is not seeking your happiness in worldly things. He's seeking something else. That's where Psalm 1 um, sets the stage for us. This blessedness that God offers, this full joy, this happiness that he holds forth. Um, Psalm 1, 1, it begins with leave the world. Leave the world. So look for this blessing and we do it um, leaving The world. Okay, let me read uh, verse one for us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So, the first word that comes to us here in the Book of Psalms is a corrective. It's a negative command. Stop doing this. The problem with our pursuit of happiness. Our longing for joy, our passion for pleasure is not the longing and the pursuit or the passion in itself. It's the path that we take to find it. It's, it's where we go to find that joy. It's that we look for joy and pleasure in all the wrong places. And that we're right to be concerned about. We were created to find joy in the Lord. We were created to find that, that happiness, that fullness in Him. And it's in Him that we have our, our greatest joy. And, and when we find joy in Him, we're rightly glorifying and worshiping Him. But In the words of Jeremiah, um, we commit two sins. We've forsaken Him, the fountain of living water. And we have hewn out for ourselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. We, we try to replace God. We try to turn our back on the infinite, all-glorious, soul-satisfying God and and to find joy in the dingy, broken-down things of this world. The Lord says, stop it. Stop it. That's an affront to me. I mean, what are you saying about God as you leave him behind to go try to find joy in a bottle? And then he says, and and, and you're not going to find joy there. That's not where it's at. Those, those things that we try to find our joy in, they, they're lies, they're, they're hollow, they break down, there's no lasting joy there. No, blessed is the man, the, the person who has true, full, lasting joy, overflowing blessing of God Almighty. And that's the one who leaves the world. Now, obviously, I don't mean leaving the world in a physical sense. But leaving behind the ideals, the principles, the the priorities, the values and goals of this worldly system. Notice the progress in this passage here. The man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked. To to walk is a, a regular metaphor in scripture for just daily life. It's one foot in front of the other. It's kind of ongoing, in and out, day to day, fairly casual but consistent. And it's walking in the counsel of the wicked. It's their advice. It's their priorities. It's their value systems and judgments. That's where we start. We just casually take it in. We hear from the world its supposed wisdom. Oh, you'll find joy here. Oh, you got to have one of these. Oh, you got to try this. Oh, if you could just go there or do this or, or see that, then you'd be happy. It's all about worldly things, and we take it in. But it doesn't stop there. As those things fill our heads and our hearts, um, there's a slippery slope. There's a progression here. Before long, we begin to stand in the way of sinners. If we keep hearing and listening to the counsel of wicked, the wicked to, to walk in that casual day-to-day sense. Hearing that, eventually we begin to stand there, to remain there. There, to identify there, to take a stance. And it's not just counsel anymore of the wicked, but it's the way of the sinners. So, walking to standing, we we move from kind of casual to now habitual. This This is who I am. And from counsel to way, it moves from kind of just intellectual to now practical. Having heard the counsel, the wisdom of the wicked, we begin to follow their ways. And the next step is to sit in the seat of scoffers. To sit is one step further than standing, right? Now I've made myself at home. I'm going to pull up a chair. I was just walking by, but then I decided to come and stand. Now I think I'll take a seat. Though it doesn't Necessarily, I, I don't think there's a progression from wicked to sinner. Um, the jump to scoffer uh, does seem significant. Right? This is no longer just rebellion against God. This is a self-aware rebellion. This is mocking God. A proud, arrogant rebellion. Looking at the, the values and the ideals and the priorities of God and, and calling that foolishness. It's a full rejection of God's way. This man, he is not blessed. It will not go well for him. I know it's hard to see it sometimes. We look at at people in the world and we think, man, they've just got it all. Oh, if I could only do that, have that, be that. It's because we're bombarded with the counsel of the wicked. We hear it constantly. Every every TV show, every advertisement, every conversation at work, the the songs on the radio, the, the news, the talk around us, all of it is this consistent barrage of worldly thinking. You've got to fill in the blank. That's the reason Paul warns in Romans 12 that we should, we should not be conformed to the pattern of this world because that's exactly what the world is trying to do, to, to push us into its mold, nudging us, pulling us, forming us, by feeding us this propaganda. And before long, we're looking at worldly people Succeeding by worldly standards, according to worldly priorities, and we think maybe they 're on to something that looks like a better life than I have. that looks like what blessedness is. Maybe I want that instead. Maybe that really is joy can tell you i'm i 'm in the process of looking for a new vehicle. I know it's a shock. My van only has 397,000 kilometers on it. It's barely broken in, uh, but it has some mechanical issues, and so I'm, I'm looking for a vehicle, and backwards as this may be, um, my wife is telling me, you should get a truck, and so I am taking her loving help in that, and, uh, and I'm looking for a truck, but how fast it moves. We've Looked at the budget. We've looked at what we have. This would be a reasonable amount to spend, and for this reasonable amount, I can get a truck that will service our needs quite well. But I could go a little more, a little high, maybe five, maybe five or ten times more if I really wanted to, and then I could get a truck that doesn't just that doesn't just serve our needs. I can get a truck that I could find my identity in. Right? I mean, I don't put it that way because I want to talk myself into it, not out of it. Um, but I would love that truck. That says, this is, wow, that guy's made it. He is, he's got something. Look at that truck. It's beautiful. People would know that's my truck and they'd be impressed by me. And I would have self-worth because of my truck. Now, there's nothing wrong with nice trucks. Nobody has to like sneak out late from from the parking lot. It's okay. It's okay. That's not the point. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's something very wrong. If that comes out of my listening to the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, believing those worldly lies, that what my heart really needs, what will really bring me joy, is a new truck. That shiny new truck is going is to be the thing that will make me blessed. And I know it's a lie. And I've, I've dragged that out onto the carpet in my heart, and I have, I have rebuked that in me. And, and, and the next thing I do is, is go on Kijiji and just keep flipping past my dollar amount, and oh, there they are again. It's so deceitful. It's so pervasive in our minds and our hearts. To fight against these, these lies, the propaganda of the world, if you wanna try, if you wanna find true blessedness, true joy, we need to leave those worldly ways. We've got to cut ties with that. And that means, I think, if we look at this passage, that means intentionally making some separations from ourselves and some who would, who would be bad influences in our lives. Deliberately removing some people, maybe. Proverbs thirteen twenty: whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So, if you want to to be wise, get some wise friends around you. You want to suffer harm, just hang out with the fools. Just go do what they're doing. Who are your friends? Who are the people that have your ear? Are they the people who are going to egg you on um, toward worldly priorities? You're going to say, just do it. You deserve it. You'll love it. It'll be great. And I'll get to ride with you in your truck. It'll be awesome. Just buy it, you'll figure it out later. Are they giving you worldly advice? Are they the ones who are going to push you toward godliness? Peer pressure toward holiness is a beautiful thing. I, mean, I distinctly remember the, the switch from high school to Bible school um, where, where you're cool by the, okay, my day was how big your pant legs are, um, and we got them pretty big, and uh, it, you go from, from coolness in your dress and your language and the, the things that you do to, to all of a sudden I fell in. God's mercy to this great group of, of men in Bible college. And to be cool in our circle was to know God's word and to think deeply about who he was and to spend time in prayer. And, and, and that's a good peer pressure. Like, that's a, that's a great place to be. Now, I'm not saying don't associate with unbelievers or, or immature believers that we just kind of cut that all off. Um, there's a place for those relationships, even a necessary place in our lives But your primary relationships, the people you listen to, the people that you're going to spend the bulk of your time with, you need to carefully choose those people. Don't let your friendships just kind of happen to you passively. Think about who are the people who who spur me on toward love and good deeds, who push me to be more like Christ, people I want to be like, and, and start to intentionally nurture and foster those relationships. Those are the guys I want to hang out with. And it's not just friends either, is it? What kind of shows am I going to watch? What kind of music am I going to listen to? Books or magazines will I read? Social media influence will I let in? All of those are are constantly sending messages to us, seeking to draw us into the wisdom and the way of this world. And you'll never escape it completely, never. Um, But we need to be aware of it. We need to limit it. Think about the influences you you let in and and be ready. Be ready to make those decisions that just seem insane. That just don't don't make sense in this world, right? I mean, be ready to be that weirdo in the office. That strange member of the family who just doesn't fit in, who doesn't think like the rest of us. All of a sudden, you've become the weird uncle, right? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. All of a sudden, man, that, that guy, what, what's he doing? Like, he could have bought a way nicer truck, but he doesn't. He just he just hung on, he just bought this piece of junk. And did you hear, I, I heard he's giving money, away. I'm not talking about myself, he's giving money away to missionaries and stuff. Why is he doing that? Why does he live in that little house? He could have a bigger house. And he's just throwing his money away. And he's, and he's talking to people. I went with him to Tim Hortons the other day, and all of a sudden he's just, He's talking to people about Jesus everywhere. I'm like, oh my goodness, don't do it. Not here. Right? Are you willing to be that crazy guy? Go looking for God's blessings. You need to leave this world behind and it's going to stand out. Listen to, listen to what's said about Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think about that. Pharaoh. I mean, we, we talk about the, the wage gap today and the gap between the rich and the poor. Egypt had that in spades. Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter had everything, wealth and, and, and luxury and everything you could, everything you could want. And, and Moses had claimed all of it as Pharaoh's daughter and he turned it down. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I called Moses Pharaoh's daughter, didn't I? No, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, to live with the slaves. The poor, destitute, in the dirt, working day in and day out. Rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He got it. Yeah, that, that looks like joy living in the palace, having every earthly thing, every material thing just served up literally on a silver platter. But no, that's fleeting. That's not true joy. I don't buy it, world. That's not gonna do it. I want God's blessing. And that's over here in the dirt. That's over here with the slaves. That's where I'm going. Can you imagine what his friends in the palace would have said? Moses, like I can't even go visit you. It's too dirty. I don't even want to go near you. Your new friends smell bad. Come back to the palace. This is the good life. Just enjoy it. Think of the influence you can have. Take it, take it easy. Be happy. But Moses understood. He understood the blessing of the Lord is not found in the things of this world. He wasn't deceived by that worldly wisdom. So look for God's blessing. Seek after it. Pursue it. hard. And we look for God's blessing as we leave the world behind. But, of course, you can't just create a vacuum then. If you're going to abandon the priorities of this world, you need to replace it with something. And so um, Psalm 1 says, leave the world and love the word. Listen again. I'll start uh, back in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. This blessed man delights in the law of God. He loves it. This is about our heart towards what God has said. When you read the Bible, when you think about God's commands, God's laws, how do you respond? What's what's the reaction in your heart? And how you respond to God's law is the clearest indication of what you believe about God. What you believe about his blessings. You can say all kinds of things with your mouth, but but you vote with your feet. And how you respond to God's law tells us what you really believe. If you truly believe that the, the Lord Almighty, right, think about this, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the one who created the very concept of happiness and spoke it into being, if we believe that he, in his law, was giving us directions to be blessed, I would we be anything but thrilled to receive those directions, right, to, to know how to follow and, to, and, and what to do. I mean, just let's, let's flip the context a little bit. If, if someone were to give you a map and tell you this map will lead you toward a treasure chest filled with $100 million worth of treasure. Like, let's make it a billion. Let's go over, right? Whether or not you trusted that person is going to show up really quick based on what you do with that map. If You just kind of crumple it up and I'll get to that later. Maybe someday. I'll worry about that. I've got time, maybe when I'm older, then I'll pull out the map and check that out. You don't trust that person, not at all. You don't believe them. We're going to rule out the possibility that you don't want a billion dollars because that's crazy. Um, No, if you believe them, you would follow it. What if you said, "Mm, I'll follow it, sure, okay, I guess. I'll leave it open on my bedside table, I mean my passenger seat. Um, I'll put it there, and, and I'll peek at it every now and then. And oh, it says to go straight here. I guess I'll go straight. And uh, maybe I missed a few, but oh, left here. Okay, I'll go left. And then and then it says go right, and you go. Ah, I really like left. Uh, right is a gravel. It's a bumpy road. I get my car dirty. It could be hard on my ball joints. No, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go left instead. I, I think there's more likely the treasure is to the left, anyways. Again, you. You don't trust that person. You don't believe them. Not if you don't believe them, about the location of the treasure. If you really trusted them, what would you do? I mean, you wouldn't put it down. You wouldn't leave that for later. You would grab it here and now, time to go. We're following the map. And you would do it with joy, like excitement. Every corner, you'd be shouting out, like, left, left here, go left, go straight, keep going, keep going, go straight, go faster, turn right. And if it sent you down a gravel road, okay, I'll get a new car later. I mean, if it sent you into, through, the, through the farmer's fields, you, you would just take it. Sorry, Steve, I don't want anyone driving through your farmer's fields, but um, don't do that for real. But you, you would go wherever it, wherever it sent you. You would just, I don't care. It's a billion dollars. Nothing else matters. I am following this map. And your whole family and friends could be yelling at you, don't do it. Don't go that way. The, the road is bumpy. It's hard. Turn back. And you wouldn't care. You're going. It's all going to be worth it in the end because I believe this map. I believe who's given it to me. God is saying, here is how you find blessing. Here's how you get joy eternal. Now, stop, because we still think that a billion dollars would be better. It's not, right? billion dollars is nothing compared to what God is actually offering us in his book, in his truth. Joy eternal. Trust me. Follow me. Why would we question him? Why would we roll our eyes when he says go left instead of right? Why would we think it's some great trial that he takes us down a, a dirt road, a rough road? If we believed that we were on the path toward God's richest, fullest blessing, we would receive his instructions with joy. It would be a delight to us. Psalm 119, the longest of all the Psalms, it's the longest book in the entire Bible, 176 verses, and the whole thing is about the wonder of God's law. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Let me just grab you a couple of samples. Psalm 119, 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in your law. 47, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 48, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 70, their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. David is excited about the law of God. He loves it. He's writing poetry about it. Long poetry. Because he trusts God. Because he believes that these commands truly are the path to blessing, to joy you love God's Word? You sit down in the morning and open up for your morning devotions. Are you like, this is going to be great. This is like sitting down to steak dinner. This is better than honey. This is good. I love it. I need more. Don't just tolerate it. Don't just force yourself to begrudgingly obey the things that God has said. No, we ought to delight in it. 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So yes, obedience, but not a burdensome obedience. Not believing the lies of this world. Oh, I would go do all those fun things, but I have to obey God. I'm trying to be a good Christian, so I guess I'll miss out on those things. No, no. Actually believing, those are lies, I'm not interested, I'm after God's joy, I'm going this way, excited. True delight in seeking God's blessing, obeying his commands, trust God, love the word. And then the second part of verse 2, love the word and then live the word. Live the word. So he says his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He meditates day and night. He keeps it in mind. Wherever he's at, whatever he's doing, to meditate simply means to think about it, chew on it, turn it around in your mind, look at it from every angle. He is meditating on God's word wherever he's going, whatever he's doing. To meditate on God's word, you're going to have to read his word, right? You're going to have to know what it says if you're going to think about it. It's not enough to just vaguely think about who God is or who you think he might be, but to know his word, to seek his blessing, whatever it takes. Carve out a chunk of time in your day, even if to start it's just 15 minutes, read one chapter. Work your way through the Psalms. It's okay if you've got to split a few of them in half or oh, maybe into eighths or tenths. But read it. Know it. And then, and then out of that one chapter, out of that maybe ten minutes of reading, take the last five minutes and find one verse, one sentence, one phrase. Write it down and think about it. Just carry it with you. What does it tell me about who God is? What does this tell me about who I am? How do I, how do I walk in obedience to this text and just chew on it? I love this. The old, old Puritan uh, Joseph Carroll says, "You may look lightly upon a scripture and see nothing." Well, I've been there. Have you been there? I uh, read these verses, and I'm not getting anything. You may, you may look lightly upon a scripture and see nothing, but meditate often upon it, and there you shall see light like the light of the sun. It's there. You're just going to have to work for it. You're going to have to think about it. You have to meditate on it. This is God's rock-solid promise. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of God and who meditates on it day and night. We have so many things um, that, that we... Make time for as We pursue happiness, and not even bad things. I mean, we we, lurk, we work long hours of overtime because we want to be happy. We we exercise relentlessly because we want to be happy. We spend hours watching sports or or reading sports stats, or we, we pour ourselves uh, into into the news or, or, or whatever it is, or the Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or whatever is next. Um, We have time to find our happiness, to try to make ourselves happy in these things. How much more how we make time for God, for his word? Believe him, live in his word. and, And little by little, as we delight in his law, as we meditate upon it, the word of God becomes that dominant voice in our hearts and in our heads. We remove the counsel of the wicked, we stop listening to that constant onslaught, and we replace it with the counsel of God. It's back to Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what we're after. I want to be able to know God's will. When when trials and situations come, I want to be able to know how to do the thing that God will bless. I'm going to get there by being transformed by his word. This is where blessings from the Lord are found. Now, understanding all of that, holding on to all of that, seeing the promise, the desire of the Lord to bless you, how his blessing comes to those who who leave the word and who love his law and who live in his law, let me ask you this. How's it going for you? How are you doing at that? If your blessing from God is, is contingent on your obedience to him, your ability to truly, fully love and truly, fully obey the law of God over the course of your life, how are you going to score? How will your life stand up when the Lord judges it according to his perfect law? If we're honest, every single one of us needs to take a step back and go, not so good. Not, I mean, I had a good day or at least a good five-minute period in there, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But how many times has God's law said, don't lust, and we say, yeah, I will anyway. Don't covet, but we say, ah, but look at that. That's so cool. I want that. Or don't let the sun go down on your anger, and we say, oh, but I will not let go. This is worth it. How about this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and I've been loving him at like 12%, not even half-hearted. Has any one of us followed this roadmap that God has given? No. Not one of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so Psalm 1 shows us this path to blessing. And if we're honest, it just shows us how far short we fall. How little we actually deserve God's blessing. And we're left asking, so who is this blessed man? Who is it that could ever say that they have lived up to these things? And the answer is, there is only one. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the blessed man. First Peter 2, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 14, 31, But I do as the Father has commanded me so the world may know that I love the Father. He delighted in God. He delighted in God's word. He lived it out perfectly. and He was the only one who ever lived who was not sucked into this worldly system, walking in the way of the wicked and standing, or walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of the sinner, sitting in the seat of the scoffer, who loved the word of God with his whole heart, who lived that out night and day. Psalm 1 is a description of Jesus. And though he delighted in and kept those commands perfectly, Rather than being fully blessed as he deserved, he took on himself the curse, the pain of suffering and death that sin deserves. So that everyone who trusts in him could be forgiven of their sin. And rather than receiving the curse that we deserve, we could receive the blessing that he deserves. That's how much God desires to bless you. How much does he want you to be happy that he gave his own son to die in your place so that in him we would receive the fullness of God's blessing. That his joy might be in us and our joy might be complete. Now, Doesn't mean we throw this off. Doesn't mean we just do away then with everything that we've we've just said about leaving the world and loving the word and and living in the word. It's not all irrelevant. No, that's still the path. To knowing and experiencing and walking in the, and living in the blessing of God. But it means that, that rather than this hitting us as a burden that we can never live up to. And as, as we scramble desperately, constant fear of, of failure and, and doubting and wondering if I'll ever be good enough. We get to just own that. That we're not good enough. That I, I can't do it as we walk that road as best we can. With confidence. With confidence. We leave the world and love the Word and live in the Word, not trying to earn God's blessing, not trying to get God's blessing, but because in Christ we already have it. That's what it means, that Christ is the blessed man. He's that on our behalf, and that in Him we have the fullness of God's blessing. And so we we live this life out joyfully in response to what He has done for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you desire to bless us, that you are a God who longs to see your people joyful and overflowing in you. And you are the source of all true joy. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in that. As we look to Christ, as we stand in awe and wonder of this amazing gift that, that you have accomplished on our behalf, what we never could. And Lord, that our lives would be lived in view of your mercy, given as living sacrifices to you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.